So today we're going to talk about the idea of contentment. Before I get started there, uh, I've asked the band to play a little song for me. See if you can recognize this song. I, I, was in, I was in middle school, junior high, when that song came out, 1965, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And uh, I'm going to tell you, honestly, it is as contemporary today as it has ever been. It is the where our culture is. As, as hard as we try, as, as much as we stretch, the fact is, is that we can't get no satisfaction. So that's relevant for us today. And uh, so we're almost done with our study in Philippians. So if you brought your Bible to the study today, open it up to Philippians chapter number four. And let's just see what God has for us this morning. I think God will meet you in right where you're at. Uh, all the time, you and I meet people, and maybe this is where we are as well, that are unhappy, unfulfilled, and unsatisfied. And maybe you've been doing a little whining because you've had to have this social isolation going on. Uh, we're going to talk to you today. I think God has a word for you today. If you believe what the commercials tell you, that true contentment is something that can be rolled on or inhaled or eaten or driven and uh, that's, what, that's what culture tells us, but the, the reality is, is that's just not true. Comic uh, and writer Irma Bombeck lost her battle with cancer in 1996, or breast cancer. And uh, she writes right before her death, and she said that she was honored to be among the 1.5 million breast uh, cancer survivors. And uh, every time she forgot to be grateful, she wrote this. She says, I hear the voice of an eight-year-old named Christina who has cancer of the nervous system. When asked what she wanted for her birthday, she pondered a minute and said, well, I have two sticker books and a doll. I guess that's everything that I need. That's so amazing. So today what I want to talk about for just a few minutes is I want to share with you Paul's secret to contentment. That is really an important idea in the Christian life. It is essential for the Christian life. So we begin our study together in Philippians chapter number 4, verse 11. And this is what it says. Not that I, have, I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Paul writes this, this idea here, and I want you to notice in our text that twice he says he has learned how to be content. It's not natural. For you and I to be content in our circumstance is not a natural thing. It is a God thing. It is a supernatural thing. It's a Holy Spirit filling thing. So the word itself means to be independent from my circumstances. That's what the word itself means. It means to step back from whatever's going on in my life, whatever my problems are, whatever my successes are, whatever life is, is dishing out to me right now, the issue is to, I'm to step away from those circumstances and live purely in relationship to God. And when I do that, I find myself in contentment. So the question that I want to look at for just a few minutes this morning is how do you get that kind of contentment in your life? I know you want it. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have the kind of contentment that said, oh, I lost my job today. Okay, I know God's going to provide. Wouldn't it be great if whatever news, good or bad you got, that you would have a level of contentment inside of your life? So I want to just share four principles out of Philippians 4 that I think will be life-changing and powerful for you 
And so you might want to write some of these, jot some of these down, write them down. So the first principle is simply this. Don't be obsessed with what you possess. Don't be obsessed with what you possess. So why would we do that? Why is it that you and I get so obsessed with what we possess? And the answer is, is that we compare. You and I are great until we, you know, we start looking around and we see things that other people possess or, or things that we want or we see television, we see, you know, the beautiful people that have the right things, the right car, the right circumstances in their life, the right home. I call this the model home syndrome. You know what I mean by that? Have you ever gone and looked at model homes and then gone back to your own small little house and you just began before you went to the model home it was awesome you had an awesome house but now that you went to the model home it's just you kind of look around and go wow i guess i don't really have it all together as i thought i did so you have to avoid comparisons and i I, i'll tell you we learn comparisons at a very young age i remember when i was about eight years old i uh in my neighborhood, uh, we were, my neighborhood was the, the skateboard, skateboard area. And so what would happen is all the neighbor kids would come to my house because at my house, uh, we lived on a corner lot and uh, we had an entrance and an exit outside the other, onto the other street. And so it made a circle. So everyone could just kind of skateboard around and around and around. But I didn't have a skateboard. So I thought I was pretty smart, so what I did is I took a, I took a piece of, car, uh, of plywood that my dad had in the garage, and I cut myself out a, you know, a, you know, a, a, a little piece of wood, and, and I took my skates apart, and I put, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the rollers on the bottom of, of, this, of this plywood. I painted it a bright orange, and, you know, because I didn't have 30 bucks to buy a new skateboard, and so I, I figured I'd just have this skateboard, and and it was great. For the first week, I was skating around. I was this happy little camper. And then there was a kid on the block that had enough money to buy a skateboard. And he came to my house with this amazing painted flames. And I, it was just, it was incredible. And, and uh, so I took my little skateboard and never used it again because I was embarrassed. I wasn't embarrassed until I saw his. And then when I saw his, I began to compare and as a result of it, I, it just it affected my life. And I think that's how you and I begin. As small children, we look around and we see all the, the great people that have great things and great lives, and we just want to have what they have. And so there's always people that will have more than you have, will have more money, less problems. There's always going to be those people. So what I have to learn to do, if I'm going to learn to live with contentment in my life, I have to learn not to compare. I've got to realize that I brought nothing into this world, that we sang about it earlier today. I brought nothing into this world, and I'm certainly going to take nothing out. And everything I have from start to finish, everything that I have is a gift from God. And the problem is, is that when we start comparing, we start believing lies. And there are three specific lies that I think that control our lives. First of all, the first lie I think we believe that is I, that I have to have what others have to be content. To be happy, to be joyful, I have to have a standard of living. That's a lie. Second lie I think we believe is I must be liked by everyone, and to be liked by everyone, I have to have certain things. I've got to have all the right toys, all the right places to go, and so I, I, I live this lie out. And the third lie I believe is that having more makes me more happy, and that is just not true. Here's the truth. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, and this is what it says. 
Yet true godliness with contentment is in itself great wealth. Let me read that to you one more time because I don't want you to miss this. Yet true godliness with contentment is is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. All of our possessions are temporary, and they're on loan, and we should see them that way. So don't get obsessed with possessing them. So have you ever heard about the 100 Thing Challenge? It's about 10 years old, and I started reading about it on the internet about 10 years ago. And and uh, there's this guy, his name was Bruce, and he decided that he had too much stuff. And so he went on a challenge. He went on a personal quest, and then he, he went on the net, and he, and he began to talk to his friends and neighbors about how to learn how to live with 100 things. So he reduced his life to 100 things. And uh, I, I don't know that I, I'm even near that, that number there. I mean, multiply that times 10, and that's probably where most of us are. We have probably more like a thousand things in our home. And uh, this is what I've learned about things is A, they clutter. B, they begin to possess you. And uh, the truth is, is they are things that overwhelm us. So Bruce, Bruce understood that. And long before Bruce realized that, there was this guy by the name of the Apostle Paul, and he took this hundred thing list and he reduced it down to two things. And this is what he says. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Paul reduced the list and said, if you have food on your, on your table and you have clothes on your back, then that is enough for you to be content no matter what are the, whatever circumstances that you're in. So don't be obsessed with what you possess. It's a gift. God can take it. At any point in time, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, and you and I need to have the idea that we just simply say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's principle number one. How are we doing so far? You know, okay? Here's principle number two. You have to learn to adjust to change. This is what I've discovered about life, is that life, there's one thing that's always consistent in life, and that is this simple principle, is that life is always changing. There's nothing static. Everything is moving. We're all in, we're on a planet that's moving around and around. We're circling this sun, you know, thousands of miles an hour. And the truth is, is that that should tell us that life is always changing. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 says, Paul, this is again the Apostle Paul, and he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He said life, in other words, he's saying life changes. I have learned, notice again that word learned. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. The secret is learning how to adjust no matter what happens in your life. Tom Hanks posted this on Twitter after he got the COVID virus while he was filming a a movie in Australia. And he he wrote this. He says, remember, despite all the current events, there is no crying in baseball. There's just no crying in baseball. The truth is, is that what he's saying is stop being a victim. Stop being a victim. Life changes. Adjust to whatever it is that's happening in your life. Just stop being a victim. So how then do I adjust to life? How do I adjust to change? Because the reality is tomorrow you're going to wake up and life is changing for you, either for good or for bad, but life is changing. So how, the, how do you and I adjust to change? Well, let me see if I can explain it to you this way. You can't control the wind, 
You can't control it. But you can adjust the sail in your boat, right? You can't control the wind, but you can adjust the sail. We can't control life's circumstances. That's the wind. The wind represents life's circumstances. We can't control that, but we can choose to either raise our sail or lower our sail. That's attitude. The one thing, the one thing that I have, the one thing that's in my control on my good days and on my bad days, on the times when I am at the top of the world and the times that I'm in the bottom of the world, the one thing that's in my control is my response and attitude. That's the one thing that I have control over. And so I can't control life circumstances, but what I can do is I can control my attitude. So the key to adjusting is simply this. If I'm going to control my attitude, I've got to practice the presence of God, and I have to, along the way, develop this amazing sense of humor. I mean, I believe that humor is a huge component piece in just reacting. That's that attitude piece, in just reacting to whatever's going on inside of your life. I think it's huge. When Michael Jordan scored his career-high 69 points against the Cavaliers, one of his teammates, Stacy King, scored one point, and after the game, this is what he said, I'll always remember this, at, at, at this night as the night that Michael and I scored 70 points. Now that's humor, right? I mean, that's living out humor in the midst of your circumstances. The third principle that I see that is just as dynamic and just as powerful is I must learn to draw upon the power of God. I must learn to draw upon the power of God. We talk a lot about that here at Grace, but I'm wondering if you're practicing that. That's what I'm wondering. And so the question then would be, is it how do I know if I'm practicing that? Well, Philippians 4.13 says, and this is a fascinating passage of Scripture, we apply this verse for, to everything, but Paul is writing in the context of contentment. Mark that down. Put that in your mind. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said, I've learned contentment. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens strengthens me. So there's this power of God that, that God gives to us so that I can be content. So how do I know whether I have the power of God? I believe there is one test that is fairly accurate, and that is the fatigue test. Fatigue happens when you live in your own strength. Fatigue happens when you live in your own strength. When you are getting worn down and weary in life. When you are going stir-crazy in the midst of your isolation, it's because you are living in your own strength and not drawing upon the power of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what Paul said. He wrote this from a prison cell. He didn't write it from the top of the world. He wrote it from a prison cell. God is not interested in removing your weaknesses, he's interested in giving you power in the midst of your weaknesses so that he might gain the glory for whatever happens in your life. So if you're worn down, you're weary, you're burned out, I'm just telling you it's because you're not living in the power of Christ in your life. And let me just say this, let me just, I want you to lean into this when I say it to you, is that when burnout happens in our life, burnout does not happen because of hard work. It doesn't. I have never yet met a farmer who has ever burned out. I haven't met him yet. Maybe there are some. And they get up before the sun comes up and works until the sun goes down. 
Burnout doesn't happen because of hard work. Burnout happens when I grow bitter in my circumstances, and when I grow bitter in my circumstances, it's because I'm not drawing on the power of Christ. Does that make sense to you? This is so important. Principle number four is I need to learn to trust God to meet my needs. And that is something that I think in our culture, in our time, that we know very little of. Most of us, even in our poverty, poverty are rich. Most of us have more things. We have more than that hundred list, right? Most of us have more than things and we know what to do with. I need to learn how to trust God in the midst of my needs. Philippians 4.19 says, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from His glorious riches. When I learn how to trust God, here's what happens when I learn how to trust God. He provides for me, He provides for me in a very powerful way, not from His poverty, but from His riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, think about it this way. All of nature depends on hidden resources, right? Think of trees. The most important part of a tree, you can't see. It's the root system. So this tree goes down to its source of water. The roots dig down, grow down until they find the source of water that they need, and that's what produces the stability in the tree's life. In the same way, what will produce stability in your life is when you tap in to the hidden resources that God has for you. And I'm just saying to you, the truth is that we all need to learn how to live in a dependent relationship with God, allowing Him to provide for all of our needs. By the way, just so you know, and I'm just saying this for your sake, not for mine, the reason giving is such an important part in your life, the reason that you have to learn the discipline of giving and generosity isn't because God needs your money. It's because you need to learn how to trust God for all of your resources. And giving puts us in that place where we're depending upon God, where we meet somebody else's needs, and then God meets ours. That's the economy of the kingdom. I'm a student of history, and one of the people that I love is Henry Ford. And, and uh, there's a guy that toured his plant one day and then met with Henry Ford afterwards, and he was, aw- he was in awe of all that Henry Ford had done. The plant was amazing. He had put out all of these cars. And uh, so this is what he said to Henry Ford at the end of the tour. He said this, It seems impossible that a man who started with nothing could accomplish all of this. You started from nothing. And Henry Ford replied to that by simply saying this, Do not miss this. He says, You're wrong. I started with everything that I needed. I started with everything that I needed. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. You have right now everything that you need in this life. You have everything that you need. You may not recognize it. You may not see it. You may not enjoy it. But the truth is, is God has already made a provision for your life. So here's, here's my final thought, and I'm going to spend the next three hours talking about it. So even though I said it's my final thought, you know, don't get excited. Or just don't get excited. 
So we're going to talk a little bit about this concept. So here's my final thought. When you are more concerned with God's kingdom than yours, than your kingdom, when you're more concerned with God's kingdom than your kingdom, that's the secret of genuine godly contentment. Now think about that. Why is it that we get so frustrated and, and, and fuss and just twist it around in our heads? Why, is, why do we do that? It's because we're trying to figure out my kingdom, how I live, what's in it for me. How am I going to get this? How am I going to do this? And I is at the center of that. But when I make a shift, a fundamental shift, and this is a discipline, Paul said he learned how to be content. When I learn in my life, when I learn in my life that his kingdom is going to last forever and my kingdom, my pitiful little kingdom, has an end. Had a beginning, going to have an end. I'm going to live with Jesus forever, by the way, but if I'm living for my kingdom, it's going to come to an end. If I'm living for God's kingdom, if that's genuinely what I'm doing, if I'm in it for God and not for me, when, I first, when, I, when my first thought is, what does God want me to do? How can I bless God's kingdom? How can I be used in God's kingdom? How can I serve God's kingdom? When that becomes your first thought, when that is it, I'm telling you, real contentment begins to grow in your life. Contentment isn't something that you just automatically get, just like that. Contentment is something that you'll look back at your life and you'll see a process that took place where God grew you in this concept of contentment. And my prayer is that you'll start the journey today. That you'll start that journey today by seeking first the kingdom of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Such an important truth. And my prayer for all of us here today is that our circumstances have led us to a place where we have time to reevaluate what's important in our life and what's not. We have time to think about what are going to be my priorities. We have time to think about what is God doing in my life? What, how am I worshiping Him? And my prayer for all of us is that we would not miss that opportunity, that we would serve Christ, serve His kingdom, and watch contentment be built inside of our lives. Let's pray together today. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, God, for your grace in our life. And I pray that your spirit, Father, will just do an amazing work of grace in each one of our lives, that you'll build contentment. Lord, I know that this is probably more important to you than it is to us. But my prayer is, God, that we'll see, see this circumstance as you see it, and that, God, that you, you will be glorified in our lives, that you'll produce in our life this amazing contentment. And we'll give you the glory for that, God. We'll give you all the praise. And, Lord, I just pray for that person who's disgruntled in their circumstances, God. I pray that they will hear my voice, listen to what your word says, and realize that what God wants from them is contentment. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen.